know about you, but um, sometimes holidays can be complicated. Just sometimes, as a, as a teenager, I used to kind of think of it as a logistical nightmare um, because it was trying to get from one place to another, trying to fit everyone in. But at the same time, I love the holidays. And as, you know, now that John and I have been navigating this married life and now with children, we've been trying to figure out how to do this well. So we had actually several invitations to navigate. So we had an invitation from his parents who live in Coshocton, so about an hour east. And then uh, we also had an invitation from my brother's family who lives in Plain City, which is an hour west. See where I'm going with this? And so we were like, what do we do? How do we do this? Like, and so we realized then that they also wanted to kind of have them basically at the same time, like noon and two. So we kind of figured out what are we going to do, and then the boot happened. So we were like, well, let's, let's plan on his parents because we don't see them as often, and there were also going to be cousins there. And my kids and my brother-in-law's kids, uh, we span about six years total in them. So the oldest is six years old. The youngest is going to be two tomorrow. So it's all so close in age, and it's so fun. And we had a great time out there. We spent probably four or five hours. And so this was the plan. Okay, we're going out there. But I didn't communicate to my brother very well early in the week. Um, so my sister-in-law is texting me actually two days before. Are you going to be here? I just need to know because I want to make sure I have a place setting for you guys. And I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry I forgot because I had indicated we might be there. And I said, you know, no, it's probably going to be difficult, so don't count on us. And then this is what I followed up with. But I'm never worried about, you know, not having a place set at your house because I know that I'm always welcome. And even if there wasn't a place setting for me, I would just hover over the serving dishes and eat straight out of them. And now none of you want to invite me for a meal ever. I know. I'm a savage that way. Um, but... Now, we did end up at the end of like our time at, at my in-laws that John's like, I think we can make it out to Plain City here. It's going to be a two-hour drive, but we can do it. And we did. And lo and behold, I found myself hovering over the leftover pumpkin pie plate, literally cutting a slice off, but eating it out of, and my sister-in-law's, get a plate, get a plate. And I'm like, nope, this is, but I don't know if you have places in your life like that, maybe not where you would literally eat out of like the serving dish like I would because you guys are like respectable, civil human beings. But there are places that you feel so comfortable. You know that you are not only welcome, but that you belong. And that's the way my brother's house feels to me. And there is, you know, we are entering into this season of typically we think of it as entertaining. You know, who shall we have over to the house? And we ought to make sure the decorations are up and the place settings are lovely. And we consult, you know, Joanna Gaines and Martha Stewart. And we pull from all these things and we Pinterest till we're blue in the face. And we think that we're being hospitable, but we're really just focused on entertaining. And there is a difference between those things. And this is something that I think is probably important for us to keep in mind as we head into this season because hospitality is an essential characteristic of Christians. Whether or not you enjoy having people over, that is not hospitality. Hospitality is making a space for people so that they know that they belong. 
And I want to just walk us through some of this as we before we go into our scripture, because I think this sets our mind to this. Um, that many people avoid hospitality because they confuse it with entertaining. Okay, so your aversion to having people over is probably because you think being hospitable is to entertain. Dance, monkey, dance. That's not what this is about. Entertaining seeks to impress. Hospitality seeks to minister. Hospitality and the word hospital are deeply related. Think about it that way. You go to a hospital to receive care. You receive care in a hospitable home. Entertaining is an event. Woohoo! Come on over at eight. We'll have games and hors d'oeuvres and wear your funkiest Christmas sweater. There'll be a contest. Hospitality is an attitude, a way of life. I want to make sure that you know that you are welcome, that there is a place set for you always at my table. Entertaining fulfills your own social needs. You feel like, I had a lot of people here. I'm an important person. Hospitality meets the needs of others. You may not be noticed when you are hospitable in terms of celebration, but people always feel better after being in your company. Entertaining is fun. Grand party with drinks and sassiness. Hospitality is often inconvenient. Doesn't mean it's not fun, but hospitality often requires a sacrifice on our part. I think about those of you who come here early to ensure that people are greeted well, that you have a warm cup of coffee or hot cocoa to know that we were expecting you. That is a sacrifice not only of sleep, but also of yourself to be here for others. And there's ways that we do this in so many different ways, but it is not convenient. Entertaining honors self. You want to be the focus, the hostess with the mostess. Hospitality always honors Christ because where I saw someone in need and served them, I served Christ. So I leave that with us as we kind of dive into the final piece of this sermon series that we have been delving into about being invited, what God invites us into that he invites us into belonging, and he also invites us into serving, of giving of ourselves, and to engage in authentic love, an invitation to love generously. And I think hospitality is a big piece of that because not only is it an aspect of loving people, but I think the way that we think about hospitality needs to be flipped, same way we need to flip our understanding of love. So we're diving into this passage from Romans. It illustrates that us as followers of Christ are to approach love and by extension hospitality with a radical generosity of self. And so we're digging into Romans 12 verses 9 through 21 and it is filled with wisdom for us today. And I think it's going to help us set our minds on what is important for this season that we are going into. So if you have your Bible with you, you're welcome to open it up. Turn to Romans chapter 12. If you have an app on your phone, make sure you scroll there as needed. But we're going to dive into these verses today, and we're going to start with verse 9. So allow me to read it for us. It's a very simple verse, but it's beautiful. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. I think we can all get behind that in a lot of ways. 
you know, holding fast to what is love, what is loving. And this should be an authentic love. Again, we want to think radical love, not just worldly love. See, genuine love isn't on the surface. It's not just, you know, I love you. It is engaging in care and love of someone, warts and all. You see how they're not always pretty and perfect, and you love them. Not just the emotion of it, but the action of it, that we love that aunt who has to bring up politics at the Thanksgiving table every year and you just cringe when you see her get ready. Gotta love her. It is loving that neighbor who puts his Christmas lights up in October. Love them. It's loving even that coworker who busts out of the office early so they can start their holiday early and leave you with the lion's share of work. Your Christmas or your Thanksgiving gets started later. Love them, even in the midst of their poor behavior. Authentic love also demands that we be authentic. That means that we don't have to act like everything is great, but we choose to respond well to those situations with love. Yeah, Aunt Judy, I disagree with you on this, but I don't want to ruin our dinner by fighting with you and arguing with you. Joe, really with the lights? Okay, can I help you? Make sure that they look good and that you can take them down in January, <laughs> not June. You know, it's, it's that coworker, like you left me hanging with the bag and it didn't feel good. I got to my parents' house much later than I needed to be. Can we work out a better plan for next year? ignore the problem, but you are authentic in that you were not happy, but you choose to be gracious and kind in the midst of that. So this authentic love also demands that we tear down the walls that we often construct that hide our true selves from other people. And it's accepting ourselves and others without judgment. And we celebrate the unique journey that we are all on. Last week, Kevin encouraged us to see the fullness of our pathways, our journeys in this life, that how our life stories, even when they are dark and light, can be used by God if we are willing, that God can make something beautiful out of it, that God can use it for good if we are willing to allow that. And that means we have to accept and present all of that to this world. It invites us also to see others fully for who they are, to see the world honestly and choose, again, choose to love. Love is an action. Love is, is a choice. You know, so often we, we excuse ourselves or, you know, push off. Well, I just didn't feel loving. Oh, crap. I don't always feel loving towards my children. I don't. I love them, but they're little turds. They kick me. No, they... They eat my butt off on a meal and put it in front of them. And they're like, I don't like it. And I love you. Love is a choice. And I choose to love them every day. Some days I, I well, and other days I fall short. So I'm going to try again the next day. And we live in this world where we can live two lives, right? We can live life in real life. And we can live this digital life, right, where we can curate and make everything perfect. And, and we buy into that lie so often and present this 
false self to the world, so much so that we even start to believe it about ourselves. Paul here, 2,000 years ago, is encouraging us to reject what is fake, what is evil, and cling to what is good. Because that false self is a lie, and lies are never good. Let's kind of continue in our passage here today, but I want you to keep in mind this idea of what it is to love authentically, to love generously, requires a bigness on our part. So this idea of then going in from authentic love into living a life of invitation with others. Let me read these passages for us. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. So we're, we're into what it is to truly love others. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual further, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. That's that sign on that back doorway there with our prayer wall. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. This is a practice for us, not simply an event, but an ongoing practice. So Paul is painting a picture for us of what it is to live invitationally, to be somebody who invites others in, not just to an event, but to the very lives that they live, to invite them into the faith that we have because we are living it. It's not just about saying, hey, I love you, bless you, aren't you cute? No. This is demonstrating it through our actions. It is almost in a way of thinking about how can we outdo one another in caring for one another. And this is not a competition. There's no prize. There's no trophy in this. Sometimes we act like that. This is about how can we honor and celebrate each other because we are created all in the image of God. So when we celebrate another person, we're actually celebrating the image of God at work in them. That we look to lift everyone up, not push them down so that we are above them. We celebrate what each of us brings to the table. We have a variety of gifts and skills in this church, and I have seen some of them just on display this very week. And it is such a joy to see because it's not often what we expect how in a church setting, we always think, oh, you're a good Bible teacher. Oh, you're a good preacher. You're a good singer. But we have a tremendous artistic skill in this church. And this is a picture from a few years ago of what has been done in our front window. We have um, some very talented women who have been putting together kind of vignettes in our front window for years now as a way to kind of invite the greater community to, to engage with us, even if we are not presently here. And so they do these beautiful um, presentations in the window. And I love what Brenda and Mary do, that there is this creative energy that comes at work. But it's not something that we would have thought of as, oh, you know, this is what I do at church. But it is so lovely and wonderful. And I love sometimes just even hearing people's reactions in the hallway to what they have done. And then this week, um, we also had... Um, Cynthia and another Brenda, we have two Brendas, by the way, um, work on the windows, and you can see some of that artwork behind you already at work, and it's, it's a work in progress. There's going to be more added to it. Don't touch the snowflakes, by the way. It's a chalky paint, so if you, you touch, you shall smear, and then suddenly you shall be a part of the artist. So, but I love like this because I've already started to notice, much like that front window and these other windows, that we have this beautiful canvas that people can engage with. 
These are people living out their gifts and having fun with it. There's even a couple Grinch hands over there that kids have been like, ah! And, and that's part of it, that's part of the invitation, is making people know, like, oh, this is something I want to maybe engage with. It's invitational in that way. And so often we, we let ourselves in to what we think we should do, rather than what are the gifts I bring to the table. You know, not beat myself up on what I don't have, but to look at the strengths I have and to live into them and live them out. You know? And I love seeing just these small pieces of what some of you bring to the table that is so beautiful and lovely. You know, it's, it's easy in our digital world now to get kind of caught up in numbers, you know, that how many likes do you have? How many followers do you have? How many did you have in attendance? What's this? And Paul drives us back into the idea of what it is to be fervent in spirit to have this passion in our faith to serve the Lord in all that we do. Because it's, it's not about the amount, it's the passion that we bring to the table. It's the gifts that we have to offer. I mean, it's that silly song about the, the joy that we all took great delight in singing. And most of us mothers roll our eyes at the idea of playing a drum for a baby. But I did pick up on a, a lyric that I've never really noticed is that Mary nodded her head so he at least sought permission, good dude, but he brought to the table what he had to offer as a gift. And I want us to think about that more and more. What are the gifts that we have to bring and to give them generously? That is what it is to love others at times as well, because it also involves us loving who we are and what God has put into us and called into us. So seeking ways to contribute also to the needs of others. That is what some of these gifts are given to us to do. We are blessed, not just for our well-being, but for the well-being of the world to be shared. And we have constant invitations to share generously with others, to serve others. You know, we mentioned already two opportunities here at Church in the Mall that we have just in the next coming month, whether it's with this outreach with our friends at Powerline Ministries or in fostering Christmas for kids in foster care. These are two opportunities that may exist for you as well. You know, I've had some of you go, you know, I probably can't take the time to shop for somebody, but can I make a, a financial gift and somebody else can shop for me? This is about the gifts coming together. I know there are some of you who do have the spiritual gift of shopping, and some of you are called more to give. You know, it's, it's balance here. And, you know, it's about stepping into those areas to care for our neighbors and then Paul mentions this P word, patience, the idea of having patience. And, and if you've heard the Christian joke, you never pray for patience because then you'll have all these opportunities to practice it. It's called toddlers. And we live in this world that is an instant everything. Like Amazon delivered a package to me that I ordered in the morning. It was there by the evening. How, how can you get it? That it is hard then to be patient, that to wait. Like patience now is like this superpower if you have it. And the thing is, patience is, is all this skill of being able to um, endure through tough times, a way to wait it out, to practice grit because you have hope of a different future than your present. And so often, um, you know, we just came through the holiday that encourages us to practice the very thing that builds endurance in us, which is gratitude. 
And it must be a practice. It's not something that you just toss at at Thanksgiving dinner. As you all go around the table, everybody say one thing you're grateful for. And that's a beautiful practice. And maybe we should be doing that at every meal. Maybe we should be doing that daily. Because when we count the ways that God has worked in the past, we can be grateful for the unseen things God is doing in the present. We lean into what we have experienced through God, focus on what we are grateful for, so that even in the midst of tough times, we can say, yeah, this is difficult, but I can't wait to look back and see what God is doing in this time. Similar to what Kevin preached on last week with the life of Joseph, that all these hard circumstances was actually preparing Joseph to save his people, to save his very family. So what could God be doing in the meanwhile for you right now that you just, you, because hindsight is twenty twenty, that in this practice of gratitude and as we engage in this journey of life, that prayer should be a constant companion of this, that we should be expressing our gratitude in prayer, that conversation with God, and that we should be leaning into God regularly, asking not only not only thanking, but also then saying, God, this is what I need. This is where I'm hurting. This is where I need healing. And to see what he will do, see what wisdom he will provide for your life, your decisions that you're making, as well as how he may be showing you the grace that you have within you because you have received it from him to offer to others. See how your compassion can be stirred up because you are engaged in prayer with God, praying for others. And digging back into what we started with this morning of hospitality, that idea that, you know, this is not about entertaining. This is not about an event. This is about an approach and a perspective in life, that we are focused on the bigger picture. What really matters? Is it matters that the table is beautifully set with grandma's china, or does it matter that we have come together as a family that remembers and loves grandma, not just because of the china that we're eating off of, but because of the love that she instilled in us and that we show to one another in the gracious practice of hospitality. Could that be really what matters at those tables more so than the decorations? It's not just about opening our homes. It's about opening our very hearts to people. And in this world that is so disconnected at times, can feel so cold and unfeeling, we have the opportunity to create spaces where people feel seen, heard, and loved, where they know that they belong. You know, that is God's first invitation to us, is to belong, to know that in the core of our being, so that we are secure in welcoming others in as well. So we engage as Christians in this beautiful process of hospitality with others, and we have this chance in this season where the emphasis can be on that, Make sure it is on the hospitality that you are engaging in, not the entertainment. So let's continue. Idea then of responding to hate, because this is what usually disrupts our ability to love, isn't it? So let me read verses 14 through 16 for us. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Oh, this is hard. Now, I know you don't often feel maybe persecuted, but people who are like bad-mouthing you or people you feel like are not on your side... Like, you, you want your pound of flesh back. But this is saying, bless those who persecute you. Not just ignore them, as I often tell my children, but actually do good to them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. 
live in harmony with one another. This, this against the grain. This is a radical way to live. You know, I, and, and I know I'm going to step on some feet here, but, you know, we, we had a game yesterday that some of you are very much invested in. I just heard some, 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 some groans. And some of you are celebrating. And some of you are probably, you know, maybe mourning. And we can do both for each other. We don't have to rub each other's noses in it, and we also don't have to be all pouty as well. Because at the end of the day, we're all human. We want to know that people are on our side, whether or not they're on the same side at the same team that we root for. You can root for different teams and still be for that person. No, radical notion in this world, but keep, keep with We want to live in harmony with one another. Again, this is harmony. There's different notes being played, but together they make a beautiful song. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. And so often this is sometimes our protection for ourselves, right? We, we puff ourselves up because we're afraid of being hurt, but we feel if we you know, kind of present a strong front, nobody can hurt us. Now, we need to be ourselves. We need to present and take those walls down. And when we think about this, this can be our approach to those who are difficult, those who may even engage in, in hate towards us or seem like it. But instead of firing back with more negativity, we fire back with kindness. We bless those. And that is truly radical in this world, which, you know, get, get, that, get, get whatever was taken from you. Get it back, whether that be your reputation, whether that be your sense of pride, that we are to respond to hate with love. And it is not easy, which is why I think we choose not to engage in it. It is difficult, it is hard, but it is transformative. Encouraging one another to be present in our joys and our sorrows with one another. Empathizing with each other. Rejoicing when others succeed. This is sometimes even harder than mourning with those who mourn. Rejoice when someone succeeds because it is not taking away from you. So often we feel if something, somebody had something good, that means we lost out on it life really isn't a zero-sum game. There is enough for all. And when we cheer for one another, when we lift each other up, when we celebrate one another, there's actually more for all of us then. So I encourage you to think about that as a way to actually engage in creating harmony in this world, to break down the divisions that plague so many of us. It is such a natural response that we need to fight it daily, to love generously to have a generous spirit in love, and to not let our pride get in the way. Yes, humbling ourselves is not easy, but it actually creates connection. And that's especially hard in a world that values status, that values, you know, how, mu how many followers you have, how many likes, how much money, what kind of car, how much you have in your retirement. This world is obsessed with status, but Paul is reminding us that everyone has value. Everyone has value because God has given us that value. It has been nothing that we have earned, nothing that someone else has earned. It is God-given value. So it cannot be lost or taken. So I want us to see beyond the surface and build connections on genuine care for one another, not simply social standing. Now this final part of Paul's words to the Romans in this chapter come to us from verses 17 through 21. And it's about overcoming evil with good. So continuing that idea of how we are to radically live different. 
Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Again, let's, let's not curse. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. There are some things that are going to be out of your control. But what is in your control is your responsibility. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Mm. Don't kick him while he's down. Help him up. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. That's a great follow-up to all that. In some strange way, it's more irritating to receive kindness from somebody than the evil in return. So if that makes you feel a little bit better, go for it. Do not be overcome by evil. This is why we do this. It's not because the other person is necessarily deserving because of their behavior, but because we don't want to be overcome by evil. We don't want to let the evil take over us, but overcome evil with good. This, this is a place where the transformation really kicks in, not to repay evil with evil, but to overcome it with good. See, we have a world that we live in that preaches revenge. Oh, get it back. And even engaging in pranks sometimes, like we want to one-up each other, like, ha And at the end, we're all hurt. And instead, we are called to peace. And we are seeing this in our world in living color, aren't we? We see it on the news. We see it across oceans. And we see it in our backyards. We see the hurt, need for vengeance, and the need to punish. We engage in this a lot, even if we are not actively engaged in, in direct conflict, right? We want to punish somebody who has hurt us. We want to make them hurt like we have hurt. We want to take from them what has been taken from us. That is not the way of Christ. That is the way of the world. Now, living peaceably with others does not mean that we compromise our values, but it does mean that we actively seek reconciliation, seek resolutions rather than fueling that conflict. And that's difficult because that means we have to work with the person we consider our enemy. Oh, now, now, now I'm getting into dangerous territory. So often we just either actively engage in the conflict or we just ignore it totally. But this invites us to actually seek peace, to make the peace in this situation. As much as we are able to, we cannot force someone to the table, but we are asked to invite them to it and to create a solution together for whatever wrongs we are trying to right. So we are to be peacemakers, not troublemakers. And this is the hard part, I think, a lot of times, is that we are to leave the vengeance to God. That is his. He is the one who would deliver justice as he sees fit. Not our job to settle scores. It's our job to love. It's not our job to settle scores, y'all. It is our job to love. This is our task. And this transformative love totally flips the script on our natural inclinations in this. It's radical. It gets people's attention because it's weird. But it is the way that we can change the world. And I want us to take these words to heart, to be people known for our genuine love, our authentic love, our intentional living, our invitational way of living, ensuring that people know that they're not only welcome but that they belong regardless of whether they choose to come in or not, that we have this ability to overcome evil with good. Now, how do we do this? 
what is in our control, what is not in our control. And in this coming month, as we journey towards this celebration of Christ's coming, of God with us, this acknowledgement that we enter into in this season, I have a task for you. Because transformation isn't about willpower. Transformation isn't about willpower, at least not ours. The transformation is about the power of God at work in us. So you should have a card on your table, a little business card shape. said, God with us has the times and the date for a Christmas Eve service. But more importantly, I want you to flip that card over. There should be a card for everyone. If, if you know, someone has scribbled all over yours at the table, grab another one from another table. There's plenty to go around. You already wrote your grocery list on one. It's okay. Go get your groceries today. Grab another card for this process. So flip it over on the blank side. Take a pen out of that bucket. You may have to share with the people at your table. Make it happen. I want you to do this with me. I want you to take a deep breath, and I want you to ask God. I want you to invite God to show you one person that you will commit to praying for this next month, these next four weeks. Who comes to mind? Who maybe you walked into this place burdened by because their mouth just wouldn't stop at the table on Thanksgiving? Maybe it's that coworker. Maybe it's a neighbor. Who is somebody with whom you feel led to pray for? Is it a friend, a family member, a neighbor, an enemy, a nemesis? Who is that person? Write their name on the card. And I want you to take that card with you today. And I want you to put it someplace that you will see it daily, someplace you will be reminded of daily. Maybe it goes in your wallet. It goes in a case on your phone with your debit card. Maybe it goes on your bathroom mirror, stares you right in the face every morning as you brush your teeth. I hope you brush your teeth. I know. And every time you see it, I want you to pray for that person. And these are some things that you can pray for them. Given this to you before, someone's jokingly called this my prayer recipe, and it, it comes to us from the Gospel of John. But when we pray for others, this is powerful, just a way to orient. And if you want to write these words down, to pray for them to have union, which means that they have people who have their back. Oh, that's really hard for some people. Pray that they have community that is life-giving, loving. That is what it is to have union with others. That they would have protection, that they would have joy, and that they would be growing in love. You don't have to pray these things for them, but I believe when we pray these things for another, something powerfully happens in us. Maybe you want to write these words on that little card. I know it's little, but I think you can make it work if you need to or take a picture of it. Do this for your soul and theirs, for your well-being and your call to be a peacemaker. See how maybe over the weeks, and this is the thing, you need to commit to this. You need to do the work of this because this is inviting God in to do the work in you, to see God's transformative power come to life in you. See what happens. It's a prayer. It's a simple prayer. I'm not even asking you to talk to somebody other than God. Oh my gosh. See what happens. Let us embrace these principles, these values that Paul tells us as Christ followers we should have that come to us from Romans 12. We have the power to not only transform our lives but others because of the power of God at work in us. Remember that love, it's more than a word. 
It's more than a closing that you sign to a gift card. It's a lifestyle. It's action-oriented, and it is always a choice. So let us live that love out loud and make a lasting impact on our world, whether how big or small they are. Amen.